Welcome to the Nate Juan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this week, we continue our discussion on Bagua Grandmaster Deng Hai Chuan. We look at a couple more accounts of Deng Hai Chuan's life, including one from Sun Zikun, a student of Chen Tinghua. Uh, then we again return to the 36 songs and 48 methods of Bagua Zhang from Andrea Falk and Frank Allen's books. Then in the Patreon, uh, we continue our discussion on the eight bodies of Taoism. Uh, we are at the fifth, the psychic body, or the fire triagram from Maguajang. So we look at a couple different aspects of that. Um, this one kind of dovetails into the next one, so we'll just continue in the next episode. So give that a listen, and hope you enjoy the episode. Take care of yourselves, and thanks for your support. Returning to the legends of the great martial arts master Dong Ai Chuan, the founder of Bagua Zhang. Um, we've been digging through all the different stories about him, and there's some repetition in there from one tale to the next, but there's, there's definitely some, some differences as well. So I wanted to pull now from The Genuine Transmission of Bagua Chuan by Sun Ji Kun, and he's a student in the Chengting Hua lineage. So he has a story of Dong Ai Chuan here that's a little bit different. Master Dong excelled in bravery and fierceness. He traveled about seeking friends. He met a Taoist master up in the mountains who gave him the method of Baguajang, the sword art and skill in each type of weapon. Without a doubt, his skill was superb. People called it an immortal transmission, and these were not empty words. So then he goes on to work for the prince, and then the, uh, once again he, gets, he has to serve tea to the crowd. Master Dong then picked up the water and passed over the palace roof. He offered water to the prince. The prince was mystified. He questioned Master Dong. The furnace is set up in front of the palace. How did you get water to the rear? Master Dong knows he cannot deceive the prince. He kneels before him and gives all the details. The prince then stopped the bodyguard Shah's performance. The prince went to see if Master Dong is telling the truth. He goes to the staging area and begins to perform Lian Huan Zhuanzhang, connected turning palms. His appearance is like moving clouds and flowing water, billowing unceasingly. The prince is hugely surprised. This was unheard of. It was a never-before-seen martial art. He continuously used soaring into the air eight steps. He raised his chi and leaped into the air and then dropped down. He ended the form as he started. The prince gained respect for Master Dong. He asked Dong to transmit all of the art truly. There is much benefit to be gained by passing it on to the students. The Shahs also wanted to learn. Many asked to learn, but only a few became students. They remember the techniques and come close to his spirit. So there again, he used soaring into the air and his chi to leap into the air and drop down. Yeah, well, I mean, so pretty much we can, at least from all of these stories, assume that the piece about him being a waiter and then mm. bringing <laughs> water to the prince rather quickly was somehow I mean, so involved. many people repeat it. It's got to be. There's some yeah, truth right? to it. There's a kernel in there. Yeah, it's pretty funny, though. His story always begins with being a waiter. Uh, he learned from the monks, but this time it wasn't because he was injured or a rebel or anything like that. And then in this one, the uh, you know bodyguard Ma and his wife asked to be, join in the Bagua school. Mm. They weren't even that much of rivals, you know. It's pretty funny. It's a slightly nicer version, I guess. Right. So. Old Master Dong lived more than 80 years. He died sitting up. His disciples buried him outside the East Gate in Beijing, by the side of the Big Red Way. They also set up a stone monument with an epitaph. 
It is used as a chronology. I myself went to this gate ten years ago. Bagua embellishes the two arts of Taiji and Xingyi, but they are not as profound as Bagua. The foundation is inexhaustible change. In the use of energy, it lies between Taiji and Xingyi. Now we have books. Naturally, the knowledge inside them is not profound. A lot is wasteful lies. Therefore, it is fitting that this now begins your martial study. Use this patriotically and with duty to heaven. All right. So there you go. So he mentions the uh, gravestone of Master Don right. who was set up. That comes up quite a few times. Yeah, well, doesn't this book have the list of names in it Right, also? so that book has the tombstone and the chronology of the names, and then the generation names. So I guess each generation of Bagua practitioners, there's a name for each of mm. them to identify themselves in their schools. And yeah, so he and he props up Tai Chi and Ching Yi, but they're not quite as good as Bagua. Right, he, he gives them their you know their due, but that's not quite the same. And then finally, he says that most of the books are wasteful lies. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, I think what he's saying is that you know a lot of people write books it doesn't necessarily mean they're any good at it. Mm -hmm. you know, so you kind of, I mean, it's. It's nice to have a book. It's better if the book's written by someone who knows something. Right. Yeah. Well, you got to take it with a grain of salt. Like, is this person really know what they're talking about? I mean, books were kind of a new thing back then, too. I mean, it was like being able to just sell or publish a book without it being a huge expense was... The printing had improved, for sure. Know, that, that had gotten a lot easier yeah. by that time. 20th so. century, it starts to become a lot easier to... You know, in, in the... In Dong Hai Chuan's time, I mean, you, you had to be seriously wealthy to be able to mass produce a book, right? But, you know, by the time, you know, Sun, Sun Tzu Kun's book comes out, you, you know, there's there's already been, I think it's a, it's after Sun Gong's book. Sun Gong's books have come out at that point, right? So, right? The, so other books have come out. I'm sure there were Tai Chi books out at that time, right? you know, so he's kind of just saying, you know, like, don't don't think that you're going to learn the whole thing from the book. Yeah, I don't have the years. No matter how good the book is, don't think you're going to learn the right. whole thing. Which is good advice, you know. Yeah. As a general rule. Yeah, I think it's... It's fun to look at little quotes from each book and try to figure out, parse the meaning from them. But as a learning method, you got to do it in person. It's, I mean, written materials are wonderful as a reference thing, as a enhancement to stuff you've already learned, as a way of remembering what you've already learned. But the key is that you've already learned it before you read the stuff and that the reading of the material is, you know, enhancing and nourishing what you already have been doing. It's not the, the source of your knowledge because nobody writes a book with everything they know in it. I mean, that's mm -hmm. impossible, especially when the thing is a physical art that, you know, involves doing, you know, martial arts on someone. Next, let's take a look at, Something from Combat Techniques of Taiji, Xingyi, and Bagua by Lu Shengli, published in 2006. So he's got another look at uh, Dong Ai Chuan's story um, with some changes as well. He says, Dong Ai Chuan was born in 1797 in Wenan County, Hubei province. When he was young, he studied Shaolin Shiba Lohan and practiced it with great dedication. As his Gong Fu improved, he traveled through the country searching for an excellent master of a high-level martial art. It's not known where he went or what happened to him during his quest, but after many years, he appeared in Beijing, where he demonstrated a very special gong fu and related an intriguing tale. In the story, he said he had traveled to many places and met many masters, but nobody could satisfy his desire for high-level martial art. 
So he went up into the mountains. He went to Jiuhua Mountain in Anhui province where he found a young boy practicing martial arts on a big rock. The boy's movements were unlike any Dong had ever seen. The boy said that he didn't know what to call his movements but practiced them only according to his master's instructions. So he took Dong uh, on for a fighting match. Dong sprang onto the rock, fought with the boy, and much to his surprise was soundly defeated. He knew he'd found the martial art he desired. The boy hesitated to take him, but Dong persisted, and eventually the boy led him to a small thatched cottage on the mountains. Bi Dangxia, the old Taoist priest who lived there, asked Dong many questions and then accepted him as his disciple. Dong lived in the cottage and studied with Bi for ten years. So there's a few of these stories that mention a guy named B as the teacher of Nong Chuan. But nobody knows who B is, so... Right, well... Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just put a name to the face, or who knows? Well, I mean, that could have been a famous monk or something. Right. You know, they just... Sure, he's... Popular at the time. Know, they, but, yeah. Attached to the legend, maybe. Yeah. I, I've never heard of him outside of right. that story, so... Right. There's no background among the Bagua people on that. So and it's also, that's kind of... I mean, that's sort of the Taoist side of it. Mm-hmm. That's not the martial arts side mm-hmm. of it, right? They're saying, you know, this is... Well, and that's good to reiterate, you know, like, some people say Bagua is really about the eight trigrams, primarily it's fighting a second. Some people say the fighting comes first, and then you can extrapolate Bagua ideas if you want. So those two sides, as we've seen all this year, have come up again and again, I, I think our theory is basically that both sides have always existed since day one, practically, where some people are way into it and some people weren't, but they were both um, they were both authentic Bagua. It's just one's looking back on Taoist circle walking as the origin. Yeah, I mean, I personally think it's kind of a pointless argument, but the... It's you know it's up it's up to the practitioner right if you want to make it about just fighting make it about just fighting you know like but if you want to get more out of it and make it you know something that's gonna also like you know, improve your life on other levels then do that too and I mean mm-hmm. all of these guys I think it's like I've said this countless times but right. the, you know martial arts does something to you that's not always great and having something to balance that out is very useful and martial artists of all kinds you know realize that you can't just always think about killing and not to have that affect you so you know clearly the Taoist stuff was a way of maintaining a stable mind but it also had this other piece about having a tradition you know a thousand year old tradition Mm -hmm. of how to move the body and i think that's where the the cloudiness comes into it because if you learned a um if you learn a song from a christian person is it a christian song Mm -hmm. well maybe but if you know some of them are some of them right but it doesn't just the religion of the person teaching you something doesn't necessarily mean that the thing that they're teaching you came from that religion right right? right. but but we sometimes kind of put that on it so you know yes dong hai chuan was a taoist did he learn the martial arts from taoists or did he you know learn martial arts and then mix it with taoism and taoist Gong? i mean doesn't matter it you know it, it got to it quite doesn't matter you know at a certain point it got to Deng Hai Chuan had this thing that he 
called Bagua Zhang, apparently just made up the name. On the <laughs> but, spot. You know, just like that. that Blurted it out. He, you know, he, because that's the other thing I think that's a little bit hard to, to get your mind around is that, you know, every village had its own martial art just about right like sure. you, you know every group had or Big every, every region you know, winter, had, yeah. right so it's sort of like um they didn't all have names you know most of them maybe not that good you know all, you know, you only had to be good enough to stop a, you know an amateur bandit from you know stealing your shit on the road you didn't have to you weren't fighting trying to be a soldier right, right? you weren't fighting in tournaments or taking on all challengers. You just right. had some basic knowledge of how to fight so that you could protect Use your yourself. Work to protect yourself. Right. So I think the idea that, you know, what's your martial art called was probably not a question anybody asked until sometime in the mid 18th century, right? That prior to that, no one cared what it was called because you, you didn't have enough contact with people outside of your village for, for it to matter. People, right? You know, yeah. like, um, that's why the earliest, you know, things like of Tai Chi don't go back much more than 1700s because it's like beyond that, nobody has any clue of like, right, it's hard to say. you know, what they were actually doing. Right. So, um, you know, names don't mean anything really like this. Yeah. Um, Once you get back into the 1700s, you're, I mean, here, I'll you're use, back there a ways. It's a branding thing, right? There, right now. In the watch world, you can buy watches from 10 or 15 companies that went out of business 100 years ago. Someone just bought the name and they started making watches with that name, but it's not the same watches that you could buy 100 years ago, right? right? So it's like branding doesn't necessarily... Sometimes names get reused from... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They get, you know, so you might call your, you know, your style Tai Chi, you know, oh, I do, you know, Tai Chi this that or you know I do six combination this that or you know I do eight trigram this that so when these then these things just got shortened to I just do Bagua right so it might have been you know I do the B family version of the eight trigram palm changing fists that come from this Taoist dude and but you get to Beijing and the prince asks you and you just say ah it's just called Bagua you know, and so like you're not, um, you know, it, it, it didn't matter until mm -hmm. someone asked you. You know. So the next part is that uh, he taught Dong to walk the circle. He taught Dong the many changes that can be performed while circle walking. He taught Dong the philosophical concepts of Bagua and introduced him uh, and instructed him in the acquisition and use of internal force. Dong practiced every posture very carefully each day and thought of how to develop each one. So he earned the admiration of his teacher, who then said, one day Master B told Dong that he learned all he could teach. He advised Dong to descend the mountain that day and start a new life. He assured Dong that with continued practice, he would become an outstanding master. He, Dong Achuan was despondent at the thought of leaving, but he said that departure was necessary, so Dong obediently resumed his travels. In the years that followed, he visited many places, won many fights, and finally headed for Beijing. The Manchurians who ruled the Qing dynasty loved martial arts. The emperor routinely invited good masters to teach his special army and security guards, and often members of the royal family as well. Good masters had many opportunities to teach and develop their skills during this golden age of the martial arts. It's talking about late Qing dynasty. The Manchurian rulers love martial arts. That's interesting because that's the time period that keeps coming up. 
Tai Chi's from that period. Shing Yi became really popular in that period. Bagua comes out in that period. Well, it's what I was just saying. I mean, I don't know if they were any more popular than they had been, but it, it's that it's that distillation down from mm-hmm. every village having a martial art to maybe now you have two, three hundred, you know, because it's like it became less and less important to have it. So, you know, because by the consolidated by, kind of yeah, I mean, by the by the Qing dynasty, it was martial arts were definitely on their way out. You know, everybody you could see the writing on the wall that the way people were going to fight was with guns, not mm-hmm. with, you know, hands and swords. So, you know, there was a probably there, you know, 100 year period there where they were still a, using martial arts, but the, you know, the real fighting was still right. done with guns i mean so. right and he's saying this was a golden age right these 1850s and 60s before firearms became so powerful and useful yeah, and right, so, right. Well, so i'll finish the story here dong Chuan went to beijing to observe the skills of the masters before demonstrating his own skills he was hired as a servant to the family of the emperor's brother prince su who was fond of martial arts and had invited many famous masters to his palace and then it talks about uh, Sha Hui Zi, the supervisor of the king's security guards, and his wife, Ma Jing Fen. Uh, so they ke- they came up again. And then uh, Dong Chun goes to demonstrate. Dong went to the courtyard and performed his Shaolin form. But the king expressed doubt that this was all Dong knew and politely asked him to demonstrate his best skills. Accordingly, Dong performed the very special and beautiful techniques that Master B had taught him. The techniques were exciting to watch. The movements changed constantly and looked very useful, leaving the onlookers speechless. None of them had ever seen a style like this. Which reminds me how a lot of these stories, people are impressed with how beautiful Bagua is. Mm-hmm. That is a theme. Yeah, well, that's still, I think, where a lot of, why a lot of people like, you know, are attracted to it initially is because it looks cool. It's pretty damn cool. When Dong finished, the king asked him what his style was called. It was a fair question, and although a king's question must always be answered, Dong was silent for several awkward moments. Master B had never mentioned the name of his art. Quickly, Dong thought of the Bagua principles he had learned from Master B and answered, It is Bagua Zhang. It also points to that thing about him knowing something prior mm. to learning Bagua Zhang, right? right. That, that he taught Yin, supposedly taught Yin Fu something mm. else first right. and then taught him Bagua Zhang later. Mm-hmm. So this is that sort of comment. They often tell a different style, but there is a style that came first. Right. There's something, so, yeah. that he, yeah. some Shaolin style that he must have had that wasn't, as this guy said, you know, wasn't all he knew. Now on to looking more at the 48 methods verses that uh, purportedly come from Dong Aichuan. Um, again, I can't help but read a little bit from Andrea Falk's book, A Shadow of Fallen Blossoms. A Shadow on Fallen Blossoms. Um, so she's wondering, you know, how the name Baguajan came about from this time period. Another suggestion is that since Dong Aichuan, Yang Luchan, and Guo Yunshen were great friends in Beijing, they just decided to give names to their styles that fit together. One Taiji Chen with the Yin Yang name, one Xing Yi Chuan with the five elements, and one Bagojong with eight trigrams. Bagojong clearly does use the circle and use the eight directions more than the other styles, and the size of a comfortable circle is about eight steps. In Bagojong, it is vital to know your eight directions and where you are within them at all times. Not more or less, but exactly. So if you were looking for a set of names that express that the three arts are the same but different, or different but the same, Taiji, Bagojong, and Xing Yi are pretty good. What do you think yeah, of that? I mean, that's... That I would buy that, you know. That, right. that again, it's this thing of it didn't matter about names until it started. You know, until you started having people coming into big cities and 
you know, meeting each other and competing and stuff. Mm. Didn't matter what you called it. So, mm. um, yeah. The, and they may have had like a branding <laughs> meeting where each no, of them I, picked I, a I've philosophy. I've never heard that, that Dong was friends with Yang right. John. So, you know, right. that may, but who knows? I mean, maybe the names didn't get solidified until the second generation. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Right? They made kind of embellished the stories right. to include the thing of, you know, him calling right. it Bagua Zhang. Maybe the three of them didn't technically physically meet, but their styles and the progenitors of those styles did hang out together. I mean, it, so like there is sort of truth underneath the statement, right? And like it, for sure. Well, and it does fit that thing of, if you want them all to be sort of one family that, giving them Taoist names, right. you know, the three different Taoist principles and name your, your martial arts after those three different Taoist principles. It works pretty good. Yeah. It must have fit in with the thinking of the time and popularity of those ideas. Once but, again. And you're not going to get confused for one, one another either. I mean, that's hmm. kind of the other piece of it. Like, you know, you have too many, too many things called, you know, something, something fist right. or, you know, inner art, inner power fist or whatever. Or, you know, so I think just having like a, a unique name that was memorable was, and everybody kind of had, not everybody, but, you know, Taoist principles mm -hmm. were fairly common knowledge. So right. if you attached a Taoist principle right. name to your thing, those were popular ideas. And if you are, you know, and if you happen to be using that Taoist principle in your martial art, but then the you better. the better, right? So. Right. This is, that's just funny because that, that one is the most, uh, it just, the idea of the three arts coming together, well, taken to its sort of extreme with three of the top masters all meeting and fixing the names amongst themselves. You know, it's pretty funny because probably didn't happen, but the, I, that kind of trend of the 18, late 1800s definitely is an interesting time period where those came together. So we can, you know, there's some truth to it. Yeah. Another interesting story. So, and, and like, just one last thing, like you were just saying, like the principles in this Bagua principle discussion of the methods, they, we keep running across the fact that a lot of them apply across the board to, especially internal martial arts styles using a lot of the same principles. So like maybe those names were a way to set each other apart, even since many of our principles are similar of relaxation and lifting up this and dropping yeah, that. I mean, so, they look kind of similar so sometimes pretty, too. Yeah, right. So, I mean... Just a way of differentiating what you're doing, making a name for yourself in a big city. So the next piece we wanted to look at was the 48 Methods Verses from the Whirling Circles of Bagwajong by Frank Allen and Tina Jong. This next one is called Moving Shadow Method. I tempt him to come when he doesn't. I move away when he comes. Using the body to move, no need to use the hands. Every step should be controlled by the hips and the waist. Well, that's more um, internal martial arts, body method advice kind of, you know. Like. Mm -hmm. Well, it starts with a tactical idea of I tempt him to come. So I, I try to get him to enter my space. But when he comes, I move away. So it's about it's kind of about timing. Like how are you going to step out of, as they approach, you step right. to a well, good position to retaliate. Most of these things have said something to the effect of don't stand there and try to block mm. the guy's force, right? So it's... It's just a basic principle of, you know, if they're coming towards you, move. Mm -hmm. Don't stand there and try to stop it with your hand. You know, use your whole body and get out of the way. And 
just you know. Yeah, and even more tempt him to come. Like if someone doesn't want to approach, you've got to try to entice them somehow. And I think one of the ideas in Bagua that I've learned was like poke towards them to make him do something. If they're just standing there with their hands up, hey, wiggle a hand, like make them respond or block, then you can begin a technique. Yeah, I mean you. So that'd be tempting somebody in that way. Sure. And again, the thing about using the body, you don't need to use the hands. That, that's been coming up in nearly all of them. Yeah. The next one is turning the body method. Less extension in the hands with bigger steps. Small steps when making a tight turn. Turn by lowering the center of gravity. Dragon claw palm stops his turning. Then most of that's advice on, you know, legs kind of move like this when you're doing that and move like that when you're doing this and then you've got a thing about you know this type of movement basically grab somebody you stop them from turning you know Mm -hmm. use a dragon claw pole yeah well i guess it sort of breaks down like again use legs not hands so much small steps are making a tight turn so just like the last one feet body those always are primary and then lower the center of gravity when you turn. I think when you do a palm change, you don't jump up. You definitely either stay even or, or sink down as you begin the change. Then you think? Generally, it is yeah, going down as you turn. Turn and lower, go down with your center of gravity. Well, because if you don't, you'll just fall backwards when you turn. So fly up in the air, yeah. And then dragon claw palm. So he mentions that's that walking palm that mm-hmm. most Bagua styles use where you, when you look through the center of your hand as you walk all right let's look at this one half circle method most people attack in a straight line walk a half step to his side and wait patiently point straight forward for oblique punching it's still all right to walk another half step to his side so most people attack in a straight line but instead you're going to walk a half step to his side and wait patiently yeah, well, again, it's just the thing of don't meet their force with force, right? You're not standing in one place. It seems like nearly all of them say that. It's it's pretty it's, repetitious. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, you know, of saying basically the same thing in different ways. But isn't aren't the classes when you teach oftentimes saying the same thing yeah, over well, and over? I mean, and that's also probably because if these are sort of someone's notes or you mm-hmm. know. Your teacher probably says it, you know, multiple times before you get it. So right. you, been might write it, you might write it down a few times. Then point straight forward for oblique punching. I'm assuming that you take the angle and then strike their oblique with a straightforward attack. And then just keep taking staff steps to get the advantage. So sort of take, try to flank them with a half step. Yeah, well, that's kind of similar to like, you know, shinny where you just step into a 45 degree angle when something's coming towards you. Again, it's just about not being, you know, not standing still when something's about to hit you. It's about, mm-hmm. you know, walk to the side a little bit. It doesn't hit you. This one looks like it's paired with the other one because it's the full circle method as opposed to the half circle. I am in the center and surrounded by the opponents, moving like a butterfly, fluttering among flowers. No matter how the wind and thunder change in eight directions, I remain calm and stick with my strategies. Well, that's about when you're... It says when you're surrounded. Right. right? This is multi-opponent stuff. So there, there's different things, right? There's essentially three pot, I mean, there's more, but three main possibilities, right? You're in the center, they're in the center, or there's a center between you and them, hmm. right? So okay. if, if I'm the center of the circle, 
which is what he's talking about here, I'm walking in a circle because there's people around me. So I'm kind of doing a tight little circle in the middle to keep, you know, that 360 degree mm -hmm. thing going on. If I'm on the outside of the circle, I'm um, walking around you, right? So that's where if you're coming straight at me, you mm -hmm. become the center of the circle and I walk mm -hmm. around you. So that's the half. That's that half circle right. method. Yeah. Half is you're going to go from being in front of them to being behind them. So that works for like one person on one on one. Kind one or of. two, yeah. But, yeah. but more than two, yeah, you got to basically be. Moving. So then I'm the circle. I am the center, surrounded by the opponents. Well, and you also have a third one, which is if they're moving and you're moving, there's a point in between the two of you that that becomes the center of the circle. Mm. So that's where. Uh, you'll meet them in the mid, you know, essentially where you contact each other is going to be the center of the circle. So you're both on the outside, and then when you touch, it's going that becomes the center mm, of the circle. Suddenly the circle's there. So that's where once you touch them, then you're going to either go outside or inside the circle, right? It'd be, you become. You go around them or you swing them yeah. around yourself. And that's probably the most common one because that's when you're starting at a distance from someone and they're not just you know, thrusting forward or standing still, that they're actually, you know, react, trying to match what you're doing mm -hmm. or, you know, trying to get an angle themselves. Well, maybe that's something where he says here, moving like a butterfly fluttering among flowers, like that sense of random movement, of just so. like yeah, crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of like chaos. Well, you're not, yeah, you're not trying to predict. You're just moving where you need to move. And like a butterfly just sort of floating on the wind, you know. You're right. Not, and plus, they take evasive sort of movement as they go from place to place, kind of. Mm -hmm. Like, they're hard to hard to predict. And then he talks about wind and thunder changing in the eight trigrams, which is sort of referring to trigrams. doesn't talk about trigrams much in these uh, advice quotes, you know, in these advice poems. Yeah, well, this is where, I mean, I personally don't think anybody does. Hmm. I mean, even Kumar, who's probably the most, you know, at least of people I've met or heard of, He's the most Taoist-focused, I Ching-focused Bagua person that's currently around. Right. And he almost never... I mean, he might use the word of the triagram, but he's not going to sit there and explain to you what each triagram means. Mm. He kind of, you know, he assumes that if you want to know that, you'll just go read the book sure. yourself. But, <clears throat> you know, that most of the instruction is like this. It's like, keep your elbow down. Keep your foot straight. Right. You know, keep your shoulders down. Right. Don't lean forwards. If they come at you, don't lean your head into them. You know, stuff right. like that. Like, you're right. not, not going to teach somebody by saying, now feel the energy of heaven flow through you as you block their punch. Like, no. <laughs> if anybody says that to you, leave. Right. Like, that person has never been in a fight in their entire life. You know, so it's like, right. you, you kind of have to get that there's flowery metaphors for things because it sounds good and it's easy to remember but that rarely is how you actually tell somebody how to do it you know all right boom hey folks hope you enjoyed the episode uh thanks for listening thanks for your support uh go check out the patreon for the bonus episodes interviews and more uh also check out our instagram for images to go along with the episodes uh thanks again for listening take care of yourselves and be well